Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today's discussion is going to be part two on talking about Sabbath. And this is about God's law, immutable law, and why he gave it to us. And we'll get into it further, but it's all from the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, chapter three. And it is so amazing that I wanted to share it. So before we get started though, let's have a word of prayer so that the Lord will be with us during the podcast. So with that, Bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for life and health and all of the many blessings you give us. Lord, we thank you each and every day for all that you do for us. Lord, thank you for giving us your son to die on the cross for us so that we might be saved. Lord, we have so much to learn and to glean from you. We will be learning throughout all of eternity of your love. And we thank you so much for not leaving leaving us in darkness, but showing us your wonderful light so that we might see the path of righteousness before us so that we can know what you would have us to do. I ask that you continue to lead and guide us in our lives and help us to continue to be more like you and less like our sinful selves. Replace our heart of flesh with new heart. And I ask all these things in your precious, wonderful, holy son's name. Amen. So with that, let's get into what this chapter says. And I'm just going to be reading it and discussing what we read. So it starts off with the verse Matthew 5.17. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. It was Christ who amid thunder and flame had proclaimed the law upon Mount Sinai. The glory of God, like devouring fire, rested upon its summit, and the mountain quaked at the presence of the Lord. The host of Israel, lying prostrate upon the earth, had listened in awe to the sacred precepts of the law. What a contrast to the scene upon the Mount of the Beatitudes, upon the summer sky with no sound to break the stillness, but the song of birds. Jesus unfolded the principles of his kingdom. Yet he who spoke to the people that day in accents of love was opening to them the principles of the law proclaimed upon Sinai. When the law was given, Israel, degraded by the long bondage in Egypt, had need to be impressed with the power and majesty of God. Yet he revealed himself to them no less as a God of love. The Lord came from Sinai and rose from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the ten thousand of holy ones. At his right hand was a fiery law unto them. Yea, he loveth the tribes. All their holy ones are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Everyone received of thy words. Deuteronomy 33, 2 and 3. It was to Moses that God revealed his glory in those wonderful words that have been treasured heritage of the ages. The Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The law given upon Sinai was the enunciation of the principle of love, a revelation to earth of the law of heaven. It was ordained in the hand of a mediator, spoken by him through whose power the hearts of men could be brought into 
into harmony with its principles. God had revealed the purpose of the law when he declared to Israel, Ye shall be holy men unto me, Exodus 22:31. Now it's very interesting here that it makes the point of saying that the reason why God gave us his law was not because he wanted to give us all of these rules and regulations and to be a burden. No, he gave it to us out of love so that we would know between right and wrong and what they did in heaven as well. And we need to serve God because we love him. That is why we obey him in what he asks of us to do. God knows what is best for us and what we need to do in order for us to be happy. She continues, but Israel had not perceived the spiritual nature of the law, and too often their professed obedience was but an observant of forms and ceremonies, rather than the surrender of the heart to the sovereignty of love. As Jesus in his character and work represented to men the holy, benevolent, and paternal attributes of God, and presented the worthlessness of mere ceremonial obedience, the Jewish leaders did not receive or understand his words. They thought that he dwelt too lightly upon the requirements of the law, and when he set before them the very truths that were the soul of their divinely appointed service, they, looking only at the external, accused him of seeking to overthrow it. This is sometimes what we do as well. We obey the commandments that are given and we do it, but sometimes we don't do it out of the love of our heart, but because we think we have to. And while it is true that we do have to do these things in order to be saved, such as keeping the Sabbath holy and not killing somebody and etc, etc, but we need to be also doing it because we have surrendered our whole heart to the Lord and He is the God of love and to serve him with love and obey him with love in our hearts. She continues, The words of Christ, though calmly spoken, were uttered with an earnestness and power that stirred the hearts of the people. They listened for a repetition of the lifeless traditions and exactions of the rabbis, but in vain. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Matthew 7:29. The Pharisees noted the vast difference between their manner of instruction and that of Christ. They saw that the majesty and purity and beauty of the truth with its deep and gentle influence was taking firm hold upon many minds. The Savior's divine love and tenderness drew the hearts of men to him. The rabbis saw that by his teaching the whole tenor of the instruction they had given to the people was set at naught. He was tearing down the partition wall that had been so flattering to their pride and exclusiveness, and they feared that, if permitted, he would draw the people entirely away from them. Therefore, they followed him with determined hostility, hoping to find some occasion for bringing him into disfavor with the multitudes, and thus enabling the Sanhedrin to secure his condemnation and death. On the mount, Jesus was closely watched by spies, and as he unfolded the principles of righteousness, the Pharisees caused it to be whispered about that his teaching was in opposition to the precepts that God had given from Sinai. The Savior 
here said nothing to unsettle faith in the religion and institutions that had been given through Moses. For every ray of divine light that Israel's great leader communicated to his people was received from Christ. While many are saying in their hearts that he has come to do away with the law, Jesus, in unmistakable language, reveals his attitude toward the divine statues. Think not, he said, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. These are very strong words. That is why many people say, oh, the law was done away with at the cross. You no longer have to keep Sabbath holy. No, he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but he came to fulfill. And he made it very clear that these Ten Commandments was very important and that every divine ray of light came directly from him. So he's not going to change his mind. It says in the Bible, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. She continues with this very thought and says, It is the creator of men, the giver of the law, who declares that it is not his purpose to set aside its precepts. Everything in nature, from the moat in the sunbeam to the worlds on high, is under law. And upon obedience to these laws, the order and harmony of the natural world depend. So there are great principles of righteousness to control the life of all intelligent beings. And upon conformity to these principles, the well-being of the universe depends. Before this earth was called into being, God's law existed. Angels are governed by its principles. And in order for earth to be in harmony with heaven, man also must obey the divine statues. To man in Eden, Christ made known the precepts of the law. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, Job 38.7. The mission of Christ on earth was not to destroy the law, but by his grace to bring man back to obedience to its precepts. And that is exactly what we need to do. We need to go back to the obedience of its precepts. And that includes the Sabbath. Nothing has changed. The day did not change just because Christ resurrected on Sunday, the first day of the week. No, it is forever and has been from the beginning before ever the world was. The law has been established before the worlds were created and before angels were created and before earth was created. It was still there and being upheld. She continued. The beloved disciple who listened to the words of Jesus on the mount, writing long afterward under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of the law as of perpetual obligation. He says that sin is the transgression of the law, and that whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. 1 John 3, 4. He makes it plain that the law to which he refers is an old commandment, which he had from the beginning. 1 John 2, 7. He is speaking of the law that that existed at the creation and was reiterated upon Mount Sinai. Speaking of the law, Jesus said, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He here used the word fulfill in the same sense as when he declared to John the Baptist his purpose to fulfill all righteousness in Matthew 3.15. That is, to fill up the measure of the law's requirement, to give an example of perfect conformity to the will of God. His mission was to magnify the law and make it honorable, 
Isaiah 42:21. He was to show the spiritual nature of the law, to present its far-reaching principles, and to make plain its eternal obligation. So that is exactly why we cannot sit there and say that we can keep any day we want to. No, it is plain that we need to keep it eternally, and that the law was not done away with, and would never change, and is never going to change. It continues with this. The divine beauty of the character of Christ, of whom the noblest and most gentle among men are but a faint reflection, of whom Solomon, by the spirit of inspiration, wrote, He is the chiefest among ten thousand. Yea, he is altogether lovely. Song of Solomon 5, 10-16 Of whom David, seeing him in prophetic vision, said, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Psalms 45, 2 Jesus, the express image of the Father's person, the effulgence of his glory, the self-denying Redeemer, throughout his pilgrimage of love on earth, was a living representation of the character of the law of God. In his life, it is made manifest that heaven-born love, Christ-like principles, underlie the laws of eternal restitute. Till heaven and earth pass, said Jesus, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. By his own obedience to the law, Christ testified to its immutable character and proved that through his grace it could be perfectly obeyed by every son and daughter of Adam. On the mount he declared that not the smallest iota should pass from the law till all things should be accomplished, all things that concern the human race, all that relates to the plan of redemption. He does not teach that the law is ever to be abrogated, but he fixes the eye upon the utmost urge of man's horizon and assures us that until this point is reached, the law will retain its authority so that none may suppose it was his mission to abolish the precepts of the law. So long as heaven and earth continue, the holy principles of God's law will remain. His righteousness, like the great mountains in Psalms 36 6, will continue a source of blessing, sending forth streams to refresh the earth. That is a beautiful thing. We know that the Lord will not change, and even the smallest iota will not pass away from the law, and we must have that perfect obedience and we can do it through his grace and that is such a beautiful promise that we can obtain the victory she continues because the law of the lord is perfect and therefore changeless it is impossible for sinful men in themselves to meet the standard of its requirement this was why jesus came as our redeemer it was his mission by making men partakers of the divine nature to bring them into harmony with the principles of the law of heaven. When we forsake our sins and receive Christ as our Savior, the law is exalted. The Apostle Paul asks, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Romans 3.31 The new covenant promise is, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Hebrews 10.16 
While the system of types which points to Christ as the Lamb of God that should take away the sin of the world was to pass away at his death, the principles of righteousness embodied in the Decalogue are as immutable as the eternal throne. Not one command has been annulled. Not a jot or tittle has been changed. Those principles that were made known to man in paradise as the great law of life will exist unchanged in paradise restored. When Eden shall bloom on earth again, God's law of love will be obeyed by all beneath the sun. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Psalms 119.89, Psalms 11.7 and 8, and Psalms 119, verse 152 is where all of those verses are found. This just reestablishes the fact that not one commandment has been annulled, and that goes for the Sabbath commandment and every other commandment such as idolatry and any of the other ones that people like to take with a grain of salt and throw out the catholics changed not only remember the sabbath day to be sunday but they also changed the do not bow down before idols so that they can bow down before their idols of saints and the mother mary which are all dead and buried and you can learn more about idolatry and that commandment in one of my previous podcasts this should leave no doubt in our mind from the bible and the spirit of prophecy that says that these laws are not done away with and the principles were established from the very beginning of time and they will not change and they will still be obeyed when we are in paradise restored here is another warning in rh june 10th 1890 paragraph 10 everyone that follows in the footsteps of jesus keeps the commandments of god those who flatter themselves that god has told them that they need not keep his commandments because it interferes with their circumstances make a sad mistake it is another leader that such are following and not jesus we are to inquire what saith the scriptures we must have the law of god before us jesus suffered the severest temptation and finally died upon calvary's cross thus demonstrating to the human family that the law of god is immutable not one jot or one tittle can be changed but satan has deceived the christian world with the story that christ died to abolish the law it was the cross of calvary that exalted the law of god and made it honorable and showed its immutable character and thus it is demonstrated before all the worlds god has created and before the heavenly angels that the law is changeless if god could have changed one iota of his law jesus need not have come to our world and died but our savior who was equal with god himself came into our world and suffered the death upon the cross to give man another probation that is a beautiful and solemn warning and promise at the same time this is why jesus came into the world 
to establish that the law is immutable. From the very beginning, Satan has tried to say that God's law was too harsh. He was not a God of love like he claimed to be. That his law was basically a lie. That he was a liar. And that's why a third of the angels went with him because they thought that they could do better. And instead of destroying Satan right away and his followers, he allowed them to continue to be alive to show not only us who are here now, but other unfallen worlds and the angels that his law doesn't change, that he is a God of love and that he has these laws in place for a reason for our own good and benefit. In fact, this is exactly what she says in ST, March 12, 1896, paragraph 3. Satan and his confederacy of evil have tempted the world to believe a lie as they tempted Adam and Eve in Eden. It has been the purpose of the enemy to unsettle the whole fabric of truth and to set the world adrift in the mazes of skepticism. But truth is immutable. A wily foe has perverted the senses of men so that they have chosen falsehood rather than truth. The Christian world has accepted the falsehoods of Satan and has believed and advocated a change in the fourth commandment, which was given as a commemoration of God's creative power in making the world. This falsehood has been working out its baleful results in making of no effect the whole law. In place Placing upon the human mind the impression that God is not invariable, invincible truth. This is the cup of intoxication that the Christian world is drinking, with which the inhabitants of the earth are becoming drunken. Satan is seeking to destroy the force of the Ten Commandments, urging his agents to declare that Christ nailed them to his cross. The cross is an immutable argument of the unchangeable character of the law of God. Christ died in order that a way might be provided for saving the sinner and meeting the demands of the broken law. The law was written with the finger of God upon the tables of stone. And John saw the temple of God open in heaven. And in the temple, the ark of his covenant, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So the Lord says, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. So he wants us to keep the Sabbath. And it's a sign between us and him. The Lord wants us to be sanctified. But Satan is not happy with that. He, he wants us to forget the very commandment that says to remember. But God's law does not change. In ST, March 12th, 1896, paragraph 1, it says, The law of God is the expression of his character. God possesses absolute, invariable, and immutable independence, and his law is without variableness, unalterable, eternal, because it is the transcript of his character. No event can take place that will in any sense make it necessary to declare a law of a contrary nature. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Any change in the law would mar its perfection. The slightest variance in its precepts 
precepts would give reason to the hosts of heaven and to unfallen worlds to think that god's counsels and declarations are not to be relied upon but need to be remodeled because they are of a faulty character should any change be made in the law of god satan would gain that for which he had instituted controversy this is the very thing <laughs> this is exactly why satan wants people to believe that god's law has changed and that all of this has happened because he's not happy he wants all of us to be lost and so he plants these falsehoods around us as we have learned but god's law is immutable and nothing has changed and nothing will change for dateless ages and there is no variableness it is very important that we keep the sabbath holy and this is the reason why in gc 437.2 it says this the importance of the sabbath as the memorial of creation is that it keeps ever present the true reason why worship is due to god because he is the creator and we his creatures the sabbath therefore lies at the very foundation of divine worship for it teaches this great truth in the most impressive manner and no other institution does this the true ground of divine worship not of that on the seventh day merely but of all worship is found in the distinction between the creator and his creatures this great fact can never become obsolete and must never be forgotten it was to keep this truth ever before the minds of men that god instituted the sabbath in eden and so long as the fact that he is our creator continues to be a reason why we should worship him so long the sabbath will continue as its sign and memorial had the sabbath been universally kept man's thoughts and affections would have been led to the creator as the object of reverence and worship and there would never have been an idolater an atheist or an infidel the keeping of the sabbath is a sign of loyalty to the true god him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters it follows that the message which commands men to worship god and keep his commandments will especially call upon them to keep the fourth commandment this is why it is very important and i know i mentioned in part one about the idolaters and atheists are an infidel but the reason why i read this quote is is because of the fact that it's all about worship so if you don't think it's important to worship god on the sabbath think again because when you are worshiping on any other day you are not worshiping god because god established the seventh day as the sabbath of the lord any other day that you're going and you're thinking about worshiping god on that is not the day you're worshiping the lord you're worshiping another being satan satan has established sunday as his day and the lord does wink at ignorance so if you did not know this before and you are just learning this for the first time by listening to this then you can repent and you can change your ways study to show thyself approved and realize that all of these years you have been lied to satan is a deceiver he doesn't want people to worship on the right day because then he knows what is the result of worshiping on the right day it brings to our mind the creator and all that he's done for us and all that he is doing for us still in the most holy place and sabbath is going to be kept in paradise 
to come as well. And that is what the great controversy between Christ and Satan is about as well. It's all about worship. Satan wants the worship for himself, but it's a worship he does not deserve to get. Number one, because of all of the evil and the sin and degradation that he has caused. And two, because he is a creature. He's not the creator. He was made by the Lord. He is not the Lord. Jesus is the creator of all heaven and earth. And without him was not anything made that was made, as we read in John 1. And so it goes to show that this is a war that is still going on. Even after the fact that Satan was kicked out of heaven, the war continues until that final battle when all of the sinners are done away with who have not confessed their sins. And there will come a time upon us that we will be tested upon this very subject. And that is what part three is going to be about. Is about the conflict of what is to come and why it is so important to stand firm on this topic of keeping the Sabbath holy because soon and very soon is coming upon us a time that will test our resolve and what we're truly made of and will we stand up for truth even if it means our very lives. Daniel was not afraid to pray and follow his conscience and as a result he was thrown in the lion's den but God was faithful and he made it out of the lion's den without one scratch on his person. Same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Not one hair upon their body was scarred or scorched and they didn't even smell like the fire. That is amazing because even us sitting by a bonfire will smell like smoke. So the Lord is faithful and yes there have been many martyrs for the truth and they will have their reward in heaven. We have to know that there is a better land waiting for us. Jesus was willing and did sacrifice everything for us. He gave his very life for us. We should be willing to do the same for this life here on earth is not going to last forever anyway but the home and glory will so that is why we must give up every sin that so easily besets us and I also wanted to touch upon the fact that we have to keep the Sabbath holy and we can't be doing our own pleasures on the day we can't be talking about this and that that we normally talk throughout the rest of the week about no the Sabbath is for talking of spiritual things of spending the time with the Lord. You can go out for nature walks and you can go out and pray for people. You can go out and visit the sick and read them Bible verses and sing hymns to the elderly. Those are all wonderful things that you can do on the Sabbath, but it doesn't mean that you can go swimming and any other recreational activity that you would normally do for your own enjoyment during the week. That's for every other day of the week. The Sabbath is just for between you and the Lord and being a blessing to others as well. You can go out and share tracks. You can do all those things on Sabbath, but don't be doing the dishes and doing everything else that you would normally do. Don't do your chores on Sabbath. Don't do the washing. Don't do the vacuuming. No, that's not the day for it. You must do those things another day. The Sabbath is 
a day that we can get away from all of the worries and the anxieties that we have faced throughout the week. This is the one day that we can put it all aside. So when those thoughts enter your mind, oh, I got to do this tomorrow and I got to do that tomorrow. Say, nope, stop. I'm sorry, Lord. That's not keeping the Sabbath holy. Help me to put my mind on you. Read spiritual things. Talk of spiritual things. Be a blessing to those around you. That is what the Sabbath is for. And it is a beautiful experience. I so look forward to Sabbath every week because it is the day that I can just set aside all of the worries and anxieties and I don't have to think about work and I don't have to worry about anything else. I can spend the whole day with my Savior and talking of the wonderful things that he has done for me and all of the wonderful things to come. And that is a refreshment to your soul. And that is why we must prepare for the Sabbath during the week as well, by cleaning the house during the week, by reading your Bible through the week, by talking of his love and his goodness throughout the week. And you can talk of other things during the week as well, but the week can be a chance to get ready for the Sabbath by preparing your heart and mind. Oh, what should we study? What should we do for Sabbath? You know, you can think about those things during the week as well. So that way you have a plan in place. The Lord wants us to enjoy the Sabbath and we must keep it holy as the Bible says. For in six days is our labor to be done, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath and we must keep it holy, even the stranger within thy gates. So if somebody comes to your house on the Sabbath day and they want to talk about this and that, you must tell them, no, I'm sorry, I can't talk about this today but would you be willing to have a Bible study with me? And if they're not willing, then you'll have to tell them, well, it's not that I don't want to visit with you, and it's not that I don't want to see you, but today is my Sabbath day, and we're counseled to keep it holy. So if you want to talk about all these other things, then please come back the next day. But today, we keep the Sabbath holy by worshiping the Lord, and you're more than welcome to come and study with us, and pray with us, and, you know, go for a nature walk while we talk of the Lord, things like that. We are responsible for how we keep the Sabbath holy. And for people who enter into our homes on the Sabbath, we're responsible for telling them that we must keep it holy as well. And what a witness that will be. If you tell that to somebody, then they might ask questions. Oh, really? Why do you keep the Sabbath today? I thought most people kept it on Sunday. And there you might have saved a soul who didn't know any better. And they'll want to know more. You never know. The reason why the Lord sent that person to your house was to learn of the Sabbath, maybe. So we must be a witness regardless of what they might think or do. If they never want to come back to your house because you were keeping the Sabbath holy, then so be it. But we have to tell them in a kind, polite, Christian way that I'm sorry, but I cannot speak of these things on this day because this is God's day. And the Lord will bless us for keeping the Sabbath holy. And the Sabbath is a blessing to us as well. It makes you ready to go into the next week because you have had that time to get spiritually charged up for the week to come so that you can better deal with the trials and temptations that come your way in the next week. So next week on the podcast, we are going to be delving into, like I said, about what is to come and the battle that is soon to take place and the struggle. So look out for part three, which will be all about the Sunday law, which is to come. So stay tuned. So with that being said, remember what it says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So with that being said, let your light so shine that you are a star witness for the Lord.